This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman from Inglorious Trexperts. And if you like our show, Inglorious Trexperts, you'll love Disco Nights with host Chase Masterson and special guests every week. All new episodes premiere every Thursday night wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, I'm Mark A. Altman. And I'm Darren Docterman, and we're the Inglorious Trexperts. Log of the Starship Enterprise, stardate 5943.7. Captain Kirk, this is Lieutenant Uhura. Mr. Spock is ready to patch in. Go ahead, Mr. Spock. I'm on the surface of the destroyed barbarian planet now, Captain. Destroyed? What do you see, Mr. Spock? The surviving inhabitants are in a dreadful condition. It seems they can't control their limbs, and their minds are dull and useless. Fascinating. They seem to be in a state identical to that curious 20th century Earth disease called hard drug abuse. I suspect it has destroyed all meaningful life on this wretched planet. A tragic find, Mr. Spock. As a Vulcan, I find the need for hard drugs to be totally illogical. But as a half-human Spock, surely you can appreciate the suffering that hard drug abuse causes. We can only hope that other civilizations will not make the same mistake. Okay, now you know about the dangers of hard drug abuse, courtesy of Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock. The cartoons. You may be wondering what that is. (laughs) That is a public service announcement that the cast of Star Trek recorded circa 1973 during the uh, recording sessions for uh, the animated series. And it told an important message to the youth of America to avoid hard drugs. Thank goodness it worked. Or you could be like the (laughs) victims of the destroyed barbarian planet that we're scanning now. And who's to say that that barbarian planet wasn't our own? Indeed. Well, listen, I am really excited about today's episode because we're going to talk about an off-overlooked chapter of Star Trek history. That's the animated series. That's right. And we have two very animated people here with us today. Um, we have uh, Michael Sussman, who co-created and executive produced the hit crime drama Perception, which ran for three seasons on TNT. He got his start in TV as an executive story editor on Star Trek Voyager and later became a writer and producer on Enterprise. All told, he has a writing credit on more than 30 episodes at 30 hours of Star Trek. That's more than there are episodes of the animated series. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought And it's that double way. the length of the uh, episodes, too. That's each one of the animated right. series is a half hour. And double the residuals. So, <laughs> and we also have, uh, still uh, still with us, our returning champion. Still alive. Uh, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. He's the director, writer, and editor of Free Enterprise. He is also the CEO uh, of uh, Ludovico Techniques, which is launching its new series, Robservations, on the Burnett Network on YouTube. Thank you, Mark. It's uh, it's great to be back, and uh, I look forward to, to discussing the animated series since I, I was there the day it dropped. I watched that first episode, Beyond the Furthest Star, Me on too. Saturday morning. Really? See, I don't remember that. I, I oh, can't, my God. Can't... I, I was beside myself. 
I, I, I was so excited that there was an animated Star Trek coming. Uh, that mm-hmm. there was more Star Trek. There was new Star Trek coming because I was obsessed with Star Trek. It was, in 1973, I was six. And I was in the fervor, the f- beginnings of my Star Trek. Because it had only gone into strip syndication, really. I believe that I saw it when I was a year a year before. Right, right. And it was airing every night in Seattle on Channel 11, which there was only um, – that was our only independent television station at the time. So I was obsessed by Star Trek as a kid. And the fact that they were making an animated series, it seemed like – they made it just for me, and and pretty much they did. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was. I, my, I think my mom told me about it. Like she knew about it before I did. Mm-hmm. I don't know how kids. I found think Rob out and I are probably more or less the same age because I was, you know, right around that time watching what I remember being the new episode. I remember watching them new. Sure. It was on NBC, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. On Saturday mornings. And the, the whole idea of television production and syndication, I, I didn't understand it. All I knew was you that- You did at six years old? You did not understand I, how television uh, syndication worked? I, I still don't understand how it works. Um, but I remember, you know, I watched a new episode of Star Trek mm-hmm. five days a week. You know, right. there was, there was, I hadn't gone through the entire series yet. So as far as I knew, they were making, you know, five Star Trek episodes a week, which was right. great. And they were going out of their way to do a six half hour animated one on the weekends for right. me. And I'm like- this is great. I live in a world where there's six brand new episodes of Star Trek every week. And this will go on forever. <laughs> I, I pretty much felt the same way that you did. Although the one thing that, that I didn't understand was why the theme song was different. Right. That was I, I remember even as a kid, it, was, it struck me. Like, I was like, huh, I wonder why it's different. Because I, it, it, it seemed the credits are essentially the same. The Enterprise flies yeah. by. They're exactly the same. They're, they're and if, the same. You, if you actually take the video from that and put it up against the theme for Star Trek, it goes up exactly the same. It goes frame by frame exactly Well, you know, same. it's funny you say that because uh, when Star Trek was announced as an animated show, there was a lot of antipathy from the fan base. They're like, oh, they're going to do it as a cartoon. This is going to be like the last Rated nail G for kids. In, in, in the coffin. And even though Gene and DC Fontana were involved, fans were very skeptical. And... Uh, Gene and DC took the opening credits to a convention mm-hmm. and showed them the opening credits to the animated series, and that changed the whole mm. perception of what the animated series was going to be. People were like, "Oh my God, this is going to be good." This is, you know, because when it was announced at Filmmate, these are the guys who did G- Groovy Ghoulies and uh, Cosby and the and the the the, the um, Fat Albert, Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids, and uh, you know, and and uh, the Fenatol Kids. I don't know, but so <laughs> the, the the thing was. That you know, they didn't have a lot of respect. I mean, this was not Disney. This was not some yeah. August animation company. It this was, was it Saturday was filmation, morning. Saturday morning yeah. cartoon. So everybody had you know these really low expectations. I know D. Kelly told Gene that uh, he said, "Why are we doing this? We have any chance of bringing Star Trek back? Isn't this gonna you know?" And he's no. This is gonna keep the brand alive. Gene was really excited about it, and. You know, to his credit, he was the guy who fought to pre- prevent it becoming like uh, the Brady Kids. You know, save right. you know, save, save the universe every right. week. He said, "No, if we're going to do Star Trek, why does the Enterprise have a rock and roll band that go around and do a, do a song every week? Why why does that happen? I, no, I mean they shouldn't. I have to admit, I would have liked to have seen Scooby Doo team up with the Star Trek cast. You know, that was the one <laughs> thing they didn't do. I mean, they had the Harlem Globetrotters, they had Batman. I mean, yeah. where was? Uh, <laughs> Well, it's funny that you say that because now in the comics, IDW has crossed over Star Trek with the Green Lantern Corps, the Legion of Superheroes, Planet Planet of the the Apes. Apes. Um, But the thing that struck me out... And Disney's going to do it with Star Wars. uh, Well, the thing that I remember very vividly, because I remember that first episode so so well, 
was the spaceship, the giant, mm-hmm. weird alien seed pod spaceship that yeah. they had. To my young mind, it was like, wow, it was like another kind of a doomsday machine, or it was the immunity syndrome. Yeah, my it was favorite. something completely alien. Yeah, something weird and cool, and 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 I, I, it, I don't remember differentiating the animated Star Trek, like you had said, Mike. In my mind, it was just another episode of Star Trek. It just happened to be animated. I'm like, wow, it's on Saturday morning instead of at night at 6 o'clock. The funny yeah. thing was that the animated show was actually the first Star Trek that I watched and remembered mm. um, because I had I had seen a little bit of uh, Star Trek that because my I guess my grandfather watched it because he also watched uh, Westerns, and so he watched this too because it was action. Um it was a but Western I, in space. Yeah. yeah, but I didn't. I didn't remember it. I remember there was a guy in a red shirt and there was some smoke. That that was my memories. But as I watched the Saturday morning show, I began realizing, hey, this this was also a a, a live action show. And when I started watching the live action show, um, I I felt exactly the opposite because I I didn't I didn't think that the main title song from that was actually the real one. I thought that the real one was the animated <laughs> show. Oh, so, why did they ruin this great cartoon yeah, exactly. by turning it into a, a live well, action Well, they used a lot show. of Filmation library music, uh, which was recently, the animated series finally um, was released uh, by La La Land Records on their mm-hmm. uh, 50th anniversary uh, CD edition. And it's actually great to have that it's music. Amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. And they and they were lost for years and years. Yeah. And it, it's, 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 I have such an identification with some of those themes uh, with that, with that show, um, you know, again, it's 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 so nice to sort of go back to the animated and realize, you know, as overlooked as it often is, you know, whether or not some people included in canon, others don't. It's real Star Trek. Well, it has the real writers. Yeah, I mean, and most of those shows, if you look at them, <laughs> were episodes that were written for the original series. Right. More trouble, more tribbles was Gerald's pitch. Uh, for third season mm-hmm. to Fred Freiberger that was rejected. Bem was a third season episode that was rejected. Um, you know, uh, once uh, one of our planets is missing, is a sequel to Shore Leave that right. had been designed. Mud's Passion was also planned as an original mm-hmm. series episode. I mean, so, so many of these were, were actually, uh, you know, going to be originals. And to Gene's credit, when they were relaunching the anime, launching the animated series, he said, let's get Sam in here to do our kickoff episode since mm-hmm. he wrote the first one of the original series. And, uh, you know, you look at all those credits and they're all familiar names, Margaret Arman, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. people who were involved in, in the original series. These are not like kiddie TV writers, right. you know, or people who are writing the Brady kids. Th- right. These were real, you know, Larry, Larry Brody. And of course, uh, Walter Koenig got his first uh, writing credit on the animated show. For the Infinite Vulcan. Infinite Vulcan. Yeah. W- with a really, really, really big Spock. Yeah. And uh, it's funny because Koenig, you know, when he talks about it now, you know, he was grateful for the opportunity. But he said he was getting paid so little money, he had to do so many rewrites, and Gene kept rewriting him that finally he's like, I'm done. <laughs> you know, I'm done. You do, what, do what you want with You it. wanted to be a writer. This is what yeah, being a writer the, is. Yeah, Thanks. Exactly. But exactly. you know, while I really liked the animated series, there were things that as a child I was confused by. And one of those things was the shuttlecraft. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand. Like they had this weird. Uh, I called it like the my my uncle collected old Rolls Royces, and there's like this Rolls Royce kind of looking shuttlecraft. It looks mm. more like a a car or a station wagon shuttlecraft. And then there was of course the the Aqua, the shuttle, Aqua shuttle, which I thought was awesome. And I'm like, where? Why didn't that ever show up again in, in one of the? 
And, and because I didn't not I until didn't, Into Darkness, I didn't know about about the differences between Star Trek production, and I didn't understand that Star Trek was in syndication. It just seemed like it was all like you said, new, you know, yeah. made made for me. But I never understood like why would they make those kinds of all the things they could change? They're giving us these weird shuttlecraft, which well was re- strange. to Remember, me. Remember, the original shuttlecraft was a compromise. And and Roddenberry always knew it, and he he uh, always kind of thought that they deserve something better. I mean, because let's face it, the original shuttlecraft is kind of a box, right? But it's awesome. It's awesome. No, it is. <laughs> it's the best kind of box there can be. But the thing is that uh, Roddenberry wanted something more interesting. And I mean, he did feel that they had to make concessions because, of course, to they couldn't afford to do the shuttlecraft. Yeah. So AMT built it for them in exchange for the rights to make the model kit because right. their model kits were doing so well. Um, but, uh, you know, so maybe he feels that it didn't necessarily reflect, you know, his vision for, yeah. for the shuttlecraft. And he said, now that it's animated, we can do anything we like. Well, and, and look, that's the danger of animation, isn't it? Particularly when you're trying to uh, uh, be compatible with the series. It's like, you know, they all said, oh, it's animation. We can do whatever we want. Right. And fortunately, they avoided falling to that trap too many times. I mean, they did the Terratin incident where they're shrinking, mm-hmm. and they did, of course, counterclock incident, which is way better than it has any right to be, yeah. where they're uh, getting younger and younger, which is funny because Next Generation ended up doing Rascals, which is sort of a similar type of premise. Um, and Deep Space Nine did an episode where everybody shrunk. So right, right, right. Pretty right. much all these episodes have been redone in live And episodes. then you did the underwater episode, the Ambrish Elm- uh, Ambergris? Ambergris. Ambergris. Yeah. Jessica Van Puttermaker. <laughs> so, Jessica Van Puttermaker. <laughs> you, you can do anything in animation because anything is free to draw, but to draw environment suits on our heroes, that's just way too much. It's yeah, right. a little yellow glow around that's them. That's so yeah. funny. It's but so I true. thought that was cool. Though, it is kid, I'm cool. Like, I wanted an environmental belt like that so I yeah. could go underwater, you know, and it was – but those things didn't – they didn't they didn't bother me. I liked them as a, as a kid. And what that's I cool. did like is like in the Ambergris – element mm-hmm. they they've got the great sea monster sure the red the giant reptilian yeah, the sea monster red, that, red that throws the the aqua shuttle <laughs> as a kid you're like oh that's so cool like that was something in your mind you and i would build the aqua shuttle out of legos i thought of that was the coolest thing ever of course you would i mean there was so much about the 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 i didn't understand the idea I, it's limited animation Obviously, right. there's, there's not 24 frames of animation. There's all not a lot done of, in America, not just before. That's they right. Send it out. Mm-hmm. All and done in the valley. In the valley, yep. And they were they were basically repurposing shots over and over sure. and over again. They which, had stock footage, basically. Stock footage, and even as a kid, I understood that. But the stories were they were compelling Star Trek mm-hmm. stories, and they were really really interesting. I couldn't get over how great the likenesses were. I mean, you're right. There, there were like three or four frames for like every mouth movement or right. something. Right. That is it? But they, they were really nailed well those done. Characters. Yeah. Nailed them. You know, yeah. three or four lines. Bam. There's yeah. there's Spock. There's Shatner. Yeah. No, totally. I think that the, the the thing that I miss, um, you know, especially watching it recently again, uh, and I go back to it every couple of years and, and try and watch them, is the fact that um, it's very clear that there's the one episode where they're all in the recording studio together, and that was basically a press up. They right. want to get pictures of them all recording, the cast reunited, and and stuff. And there's a rhythm and a freshness to, to them being in the recording studio together that you don't have later on because everyone is recording separately. Like right. maybe, you know, Shatner's on the road doing a show and Leonard's doing a play in New York and they're getting their, they're going to the studio, they're mm-hmm. recording their lines and the tape is going out, you know, it's not, there's no Pro Tools or right. anything. It's going, the tape's going out to the studio. So 
there's no kind of connection. There's right. a sense that everyone's saying their lines, but they're not playing. That the rhythm isn't yeah. there. So the Kirk, Spock, McCoy banter isn't quite the same. And and sometimes you you see the evidence of this when one character is pronouncing a name yes. one way, and then another says it completely different. Yeah. My favorite example of that is Shatner trying to pronounce quadratriticale. Right. And if you listen to more trolls, more tribbles, not even in the ballpark. It's like me saying Jesko van Putkammer and Jesko Jesko von Puttemaker. You know, so... You're, you're forgetting the uh, the pirates of Orion. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Oh. And, uh, you know, they're all on different planets, literally and figuratively in, 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 in the recordings. But, you know, again... It's amazing because in these shows to have the original voices too, yeah. because a lot of these shows, which were adaptations of TV shows, kids, they would just you know have the usual suspects who did children's Saturday morning voices. And there's a great story um, that has, which is true, is that when they were originally going to do the show, uh, Leonard balked because he found out that um, uh, Nichelle and George. Were not hadn't been burnt back, and that uh, right. Jimmy and Majel were going to be doing the voices of everyone else. of everyone. Now, whether or not that was because Leonard was really aggrieved or he's upset that Majel was doing right. it, we don't know. But to his credit, he stood up and said, "I'm not doing the show unless George does." You can't show Sulu and not have it be his voice, right. and you can't show her and not have it be Michelle. Uh, and you know, more power to him. That's a great story, and he was absolutely right because. I have to say, we did not need any more freaking Jimmy doing voices in that show. If, if there's a failing, it's like Jimmy thought he was the man of a thousand voices. He was the man of two voices. Yes. Like Darren should have been doing those voices. Every alien, every... And they all sound kind of like this. <laughs> you nailed it. That, that is, oh my God. It's like you, yeah. <laughs> and, and also, like you'd said, a lot of the scripts were... were originally written for the third season as a kid i loved seeing cyrano jones come back mm-hmm. you know and i loved seeing when they bring back more care sarek coming back i mean it was it was so great i mean as a as a kid you're like yay there are well, people i know you're so right rob and and what's great is again the original voices roger carmel mm-hmm. does mud uh, stanley, stanley adams, adams does mm-hmm. uh cyrano Sarek. jones and mark leonard does sarek yeah I mean, how great is that? Because it, you know, it, it's so respectful of the original show, and uh, I love the fact that they did these sequels, like Once Upon a Planet, which was a sequel to Shore Leave. It's not as good as Shore Leave, but it was just cool, like because didn't you ever wonder, like, what would it be like to go back to that planet? <laughs> right, right. Well, we get to go back. I mean, having a, a mud episode, and we we talked about that in another episode, but um, mud's passion stands right alongside Mud's Women and I, Mud. It's delightful. Yeah. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't think in the live action series they would have fought dinosaurs, but, you know, that's, uh, we have to, you know, it's a, still a Saturday morning kids show. And uh, and then, you know, More Trouble, More Tribbles is a great sequel to Tribbles, as is, um, uh, you know, um, all these other sequel episodes. And then even in More Tribbles, More Tribbles, the thing that I liked as a kid was the, the grain ships. Yeah. Right. You know, they design and they, they seem like, these are really cool Star Trek designs. Absolutely. There's two warp nacelles. It it looks like something which they later brought back into the remastered original series. And I'm sure Eagle Moss will be doing it any well, day. They, they, they have. Oh, have they? Yeah. Did yeah. they? That's so cool. Yeah. Well, interestingly, uh, for the uh, ships of the line calendar, I did the first version of those ships for one of my images. Oh, did you? Yes, oh, sir. that's great. Yes, sir. 
And, wow. and th- there were things. I, Tell I, us what that is before you go. Because oh. not everyone. <laughs> you know, we, we we keep brushing through this stuff as though everyone <laughs> right. knows what this <laughs> stuff is. Tell us what the ships of the line calendar it, is. Um, back in about two thousand and two, uh, uh, one of the artists, a couple of the artists at uh, Foundation Imaging, um, had this idea of doing a photo art calendar of starship images, and they all had you know access to. Uh, you know the ships that were being used on the shows, and uh, and others that they had built just for fun, and so they put together this uh, collection of uh, of beautifully rendered and uh, designed uh, images f- uh, called the ships of the line, and they did that for a year, and then I got to work on a few of them later, and uh, then later uh, uh, Doug Drexler took took it over and uh, had a bunch of uh, other artists doing it. Um, but it was really fun, and every year we would uh, get to do, uh, you know, a couple new images, and it was a lot of fun. And I actually got to do a bunch of, like, sort of animated uh, themed things. I did one of the uh, of the pod ship from the first, uh, from Beyond the Farthest Star. Oh, you did that? I did that image. That's a great image, too. And I did an image of, uh, with Mojo, uh, of uh, the Vulcan City from uh, yesteryear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Which I think they also used in... Um, didn't they do in the remastered Star Trek? Or they yes, it, yeah. they put it in a mock time. I think yeah. they did, yeah. And I put it in something else I worked on, a fan film. Well, there you go. That's so cool. I mean, that is clearly an icon that's stuck with everybody. Well, I mean, I... I, I, I already, yeah. Uh, I, I always loved uh, the animated series design because um, it, 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 it carried on the sort of traditions uh, very faithfully, yet, you know, opened up new... New looks too. Well, and then yeah. that begs the question for all of you: you know, should the animated series be considered canon? I mean, Gene said the only thing that's canon, ironically, is Robert April, which was proceeded to be ignored right. uh, later on. Uh, that he was the first captain of the Enterprise, which I always never understood why Archer wasn't April. But anyway, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. But um, I think we know why. But 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 <laughs> um, you know the question. So that that. But I I think if you look at these shows, there's no reason that the show shouldn't be canon when you look at yeah there's absolutely no reason because you have the same creative people you have uh, you know uh, the same writers the same uh, actors it's it is. Well, it also There's established no uh, Tiberius as James T. Kirk's middle name because right. it was James R. Kirk in uh, Where No One Has Gone Before. Right. But, but they did say James T. Kirk later on in they the They did, in but the original it was series, not but until it, the anime series that I think it was Bem, Bem David yeah. Gerald. Uh, yeah. He had taken it from uh, his novel, The Galactic Whirlpool, that it was Tiberius. Well, but also uh, uh, wasn't uh, the character in the lieutenant's middle name Tiberius. Yes, that's right. That's so right. that has you know direct connections to Roddenberry. The there world. are a lot of elements from the show subsequently that uh, writers. Uh, I mean, I put a couple references to uh, you know f- from various animated episodes and to live action. Mm-hmm. Uh, the live action series. I um, I did an episode um, for Enterprise. I think it was called uh, Catwalk, where there was a the, the crew was all trapped in the cell during a, like a solar storm, mm-hmm. hiding out from the radiation. And there was a there was a, this really fun character scene between Archer and T'Pol, and they were talking about survival skills and all of that. She talks about how she went through the Kazwan uh-huh. ritual, which of course uh-huh. I stole from the animated series. Although in the animated series, it, Spock says it's only for Vulcan males, but I decided to. <laughs> right. So, um, 
and I think there were references on Deep Space Nine to like some of the other like D five battle cruisers and things like right. that that other writers had dropped in. We finally got to see a live action sell it right. on yeah. Enterprise. Oh yeah, that was a good yeah. episode, The Forge, right? Wasn't yeah. that uh... right? Those, Forge, that whole three, those that three parter was incredible. And I think The Forge was also something that was first set up in in the animated show. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, I I like uh, Amanda's pronunciation of Salot. Uh, and Spock's pronunciation rather than McCoy's because McCoy's, McCoy's is it. definitely wrong. Sell it? Sell it? <laughs> no, I don't want to sell it. I want to keep it. <laughs> but it's okay. Let D get the wrong. D is fine. You think because Leonard would have the right pronunciation? Leonard would. <laughs> well, and also the animated series, I mean, uh, everyone remembers, I guess the city on the edge of forever of the animated series is yesteryear. Yes. Which brings back the Guardian of Forever and... It's, the it's such a great. It's such a great episode, though. I mean, in terms of a fan service episode, it is great. It's great, and and it, it, that shows you the city of Shakar, where mm-hmm. Spock was a boy, and you you meet young Spock and the Kazwan ordeal, ritual ordeal. Yeah. All of that is there. Of you, course, you know, written by Dorothy Fontana, mm-hmm. um, who you know was the was the authority on Spock's history. Uh, because most of it came from her, uh, it's 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 wonderful. And yeah, you have Mark Leonard uh, reprising the role of uh, Sarek, and you know uh, Amanda is played by uh, Majel. But uh, you know, it's it, fine. It kills me because that is such a magnificent episode. It is, it is truly the the shining half hour of that series. Sure. But that it, the, the the again, it's Jimmy Dewan doing it, and not Bart Larue. Yeah, you know, it's just like it's. I it, think Bart Larue had passed by had then. Passed by then, I think. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's great. But also, they're you know they don't call it the Guardian of Forever, do they? No, because they were afraid Harlan would because Harlan them. owns that term or did. Yeah, mm. um, the but, Guardian. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's really amazing, and it's a it's a great science fiction story too. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and also, you talk about a show that's a four quadrant that it not only. You know, was able to appeal to the adults in the audience or the mm-hmm. adults now, but also to kids. With right. This lesson about the dignity of, of, of uh, putting a p- pet out of its misery right. and and what a what a just you yeah. know what a meaningful because you know any of us who've been pet owners know the, how horrible it is to lose right. a pet. It's like losing a member of the family. And, and of so, course, the kids bullying Spock. Yeah. That's true. Which more or less was taken and Russian. Generously say borrowed for yes. uh, one of <laughs> yes. the later Star Trek films, which was great to see kind of a live action version of it. You're a Terran, Spock. What's a Terran? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean Terran? It, it's like the people <laughs> who read the audiobook for Fifty Year Mission. Right. It's like oh my every God. N- every name is completely wrong. wrong. For, for, yeah. I was like, and it's so funny because <laughs> did you put pronunciators in there? <laughs> one, well, no. One of the guys who. Um, was uh, reading the book uh, was a, a stand-in on Agent X a show that I was uh, um, an EP on, and and so he he was like he was so excited to be involved with the book. He said, "You'll never believe what I'm doing," and then you know I heard it, and you know for the most part I was really happy. I said, "But you know," he said, "Oh my God, nobody knew how to pronounce this stuff." Mm-hmm. I said. Why didn't you call? You like you have my yeah. number. Yeah. Why didn't you call me? I would have sat there for twenty minutes, <laughs> tell you how to pronounce all these things, right. like idic, you know, instead yeah. of I D I C, and and really simple stuff. And he goes, "That's what I said. They wouldn't let me. They no. said we're not allowed to contact the authors directly, you wow, know." And that's I'm like, weird. "But it's, it's." I said, "It's more embarrassing to have yeah. this book with." Half the words mispronounced on the audiobook than if you had just called me and I could have told you how to say Jacqueline Lichtenberg. You know, it's. 
it's so funny. And you know, I still look. I love it. It's great. I mean, the audiobook's great, but it's just like it's it's like I listen to it and I cringe. And you called me said, "I love the audiobook, but man, it's like could they get a word right?" The shame. The shame. Yeah, exactly. Jessica von Puttermaker. But, but you know, <laughs> touche. <laughs> there were also episodes of, of the animated series that, as a kid, like Time Trap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when, mm-hmm. when again, new anytime there was a new uh, ship or anything, yeah. and then I again I didn't know this at the time, but Larry Niven's episode. Oh yeah, I was just right? going to go there with Slaver Weapon, Slaver yeah. Weapon with, totally. the, with the chuffed captain and all yeah. the the, the Kazinti and 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 which by the way, which I thought was the coolest thing. If you guys are war gamers, you ever played Starfleet? Did you play Starfleet Battles? No, but I know the Kazin were in there. Yeah, yeah, the Kazinti, yeah. and it was like when they would a- add these names. I didn't know that was part of Larry Niven's what known Universe, space yeah. books or whatever. I had no idea. You just said every time they add a character, you know, like to the mythology, it's great. You know, this was a whole species, right. and right. they belonged right alongside the Romulans and the Klingons. The problem was, you know, some people have heard this story. You know, they're supposed to be this really scary. Ominous group of you know, and they with their ships and their appearance, their feline, not feline, yeah, but like like lion, you know, and they're all pink, <laughs> right? You know, they're you know they're they're, they're, they're pink aliens, they're pink ships. It's like why in the world are they pink? Apparently, Hal Sutherland, Hal Sutherland who was colorblind. the director, was colorblind, so he didn't realize that there was nothing fearsome about. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with pink, but it is the worst color for this yeah. species. These giant furry guys in. Pink pajamas. Well, not, not only did they introduce cool aliens, but they introduced two series regulars that were awesome. Yes. You're, Mr. You're, you're reading my mind. And <laughs> I, was, I was just going to say, yeah, to, to introduce Arix and Amres, and, um, uh, you know, which are both super fun characters. I wish it wasn't Jimmy and Michelle doing the voices, right. but um, or but was it Majel me, who was doing? Uh, but as a six year old, I wanted to have an interspecies romance. I think it, was, it might have been Majel. I think it might have been Majel. Yeah. yeah, it was Majel who was doing it. Who Majel did a lot of voices. She did. And uh, again, you know, um, she's not Seth MacFarlane. You know, she's she's well or just, Darren Doctor. Just just be glad that Jimmy didn't do Moress's voice as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was the thinking behind uh, having Mister Eric's and not having Chekhov? Chekhov cheaper. Well, yeah, because. They were already making a huge. It was a huge hit to the budget to add Nichelle and George. Mm-hmm. Um, so they just, you know, so the way Leonard justified it apparently was he wasn't part of the original crew, and apparently nobody told, told poor Walter right. that he wasn't in the show. So I guess he found out at a convention, and Gene thought DC had told him. DC oh. thought Gene had told him. So he found a convention. Star Trek's coming back to television with the entire original cast. Oops, except for Walter. And you know, and, and this is you talk about Walter being this insecure guy, because it happened again and again and again. Because then when they announced, you know, that Star Trek was coming back, you know, as a movie, uh, prequel, you know, but Chekhov wasn't in it because he wasn't on the Enterprise yet. Right. And it's like so, time and time again, you know, he was not being invited to the party, and it gave him this real inferiority complex. Um, but they did offer him a script, which he did, and yeah. you know it's not. You know, he quits himself admirably in that episode. It's not one of my favorites, but it's not one of my least yeah. favorites. No, it's it's very competent. Um, but yeah, I mean, I loved Arex. I thought Arex was, a, and I've always said that you know I feel like 
with the the JJ movies, they have a lot of characters to service, and obviously they're doing a lot more developed for Sulu and Uhura. So I never felt they needed Chekhov. Like I thought it would be great to have a CG Mr. Arix yeah. as the navigator. I thought like then you don't have to worry about character development, and it would just be cool. And right. you know, sadly now that. Um, uh, he's passed away. That uh, you know, maybe there's an opportunity to bring Mr. Well, Erickson back. Back when I uh, worked with uh, uh, New Voyages, the fan film organization, um, we were actually the first ones to do a CG Mr. Erickson, mm-hmm. and we had him in in one of our little vignettes, and uh, it was pretty cool. I, he didn't turn out to look like the Erickson that I remembered, but the the work was still good. And the Adosian we know and love. Yes. Well, what was so cool about that was it was a non-humanoid. Clearly, there would be aliens on starships, yeah. but nobody ever had the budget to realistically right. or ever translate them to the screen. And, three uh, arms and three legs. How awesome. And, and he has a, a shirt that fits him, right. which is awesome. I mean, I, I just interviewed Diane Duane, who's one of my favorite Star Trek novelists who, who has a credit on the first season of Next Generation. Um, she added Ensign Narat, who was a Horda, to the Enterprise crew. Which I always loved. I always thought that was great that there was a, a hoarder on board the Enterprise. I'm like, good, Cause, and of course, in now in Discovery and in the JJ movies, there's all kinds of aliens all over the Enterprise. But we we'd never we'd never seen them before. So that was a, even as a kid, I remember, wow, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. No, it was great. I think that was sort of cool. The cool thing about MRS too, because we've seen that you know the communication station was sort of there was Palamas and there was Aurora and there was you know MRS and. Right, uh, you know, it was it was just cool. It just gave you a sense of a lot more characters on the ship, and the, you, know, you know, because you know, if they're working twelve hour shifts, that there are all these other people we've never met. Right. So it's 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 pretty cool. And of course, Ohura got her first command mm-hmm. in, uh, yeah. and much better used in the Loreline Syndrome than she is in Star Trek Five. Absolutely doing that fan dance. I mean, in Star Trek Five, she takes command when uh, the the you know executive officers are, are uh, in the incapacitated in the animates here in Loreline Syndrome, and she's great. It's great. It's look, it it was groundbreaking in so many ways for the canon of Star Trek. Uh, you know whether or not you consider it, you know, real Star Trek or not. Um, it certainly expanded the universe uh, a lot and let the characters do things that they weren't uh, doing before. And of course, let's not forget that uh, everyone's beloved holodeck was born on the animated show. Yes, that's really worth mentioning. Yep, in Practical Joker. That's right. And from episode one, it was already malfunctioning. (laughs) (laughs) Someday we're going to get this right. Someday we're going to do an episode on the best holodeck malfunction episodes. (laughs) (laughs) But um, no, it's true. I mean, and, and it's funny because that really anticipated virtual reality. Um, many, many years before virtual reality was, you know, a word or people knew what it was. But, yeah, people forget, you know. And it's funny because Next Generation built on the technology of the original series. And they say, well, but it also came up with the holodeck. But it didn't. It yeah. was, uh, again, the animated series that came up with uh, with that. Um, and, uh, you know, just so, like you said, pushed the envelope in so many ways. Um, it won uh, a children's Emmy, I believe. Uh, Is there for, a children's, children's Emmy? An Emmy for children's programming, yeah. Day, daytime Emmy. Daytime yes. Emmy. And, um, you know, it's funny, John, um, uh, Fred Bronson, who uh, later would go on and be a writing partner with Susan Sackett and wrote uh, Menage Troy, um, was the publicist. Uh, on that show, he uh-huh. had been a big fan and been involved with the Save Star Trek movement, mm-hmm. and um, he uh, he really pushed that show. And ultimately, 
um, he wrote the final episode, Counter Clock Incident, under right. a pseudonym, John Culver. Because um. he was working for NBC, he couldn't use his real name. So he's, he lived in Culver City at the time. Right. So that's where he came with a pseudonym, John, John Culver. John Big Boutte. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I like I said, I like that episode. Speaking of, of that, do you guys have a favorite episode? Rob, you talked about yesteryear. Um, I think yesteryear is the best episode of the series, but uh, it, it probably is my favorite too. But I, I liked, you know, I like. Bem and I liked Albatross and I liked Beyond the Furthest Star and what the Survivor mm-hmm. is that the Winston Smith episode yeah, yeah. with the voice of Ted Knight <laughs> yeah. yeah and you know uh, the the magics of Megas two mm-hmm. uh, the the uh, what is the Kukulkan the yeah uh, uh, how sharp how sharper than a serpent's tooth. tooth yeah 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 you know again how sharper than a serpent's tooth is a great Star mm-hmm. Trek episode. Yeah. You know, and you've got this great alien spaceship from what Mayan mythology? Mayan or, mythology, yeah. And and I, there was I just I don't know. I mean, I loved I love the fact that that in my mind these episodes were live action when I was watching mm-hmm. them. As even as a kid, I'm like, it, it, and I, there were just things in there that that fired my imagination the same way that the giant the, the immunity syndrome is still one of my favorite episodes a, of the original series. there's another funny uh, pronunciation thing in that episode particularly where uh, Shatner says Kuklakan Kuklakan and Ollie <laughs> you know <laughs> you know I recently watched that episode I don't know why maybe it was on Netflix and I was struck by how good that episode actually yeah, it's was it's really good it's really good and uh, it's it's Yes, you have to take in watching it now. As you, if you're an adult and you're going to go back, like I've never watched the original series, the limited animation becomes tiresome very quickly. A lot of the voice work, as you pointed out, obviously they're not together; they're not in the same room. But if you can look beyond those things and enjoy them, and 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 try and in your own mind push those things away, I think it's there's a lot to still enjoy. In and it's episodes. it's it's very similar in story and intent to. Uh, the original series episode, uh, Who Mourns for Adonias. Yeah. Right. Um, it's almost exactly the same, yeah, in fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and w- but what's great about it is the title comes from the uh, uh, Shakespeare uh, uh, line, uh, how sharper than a serpent's tooth is it to have a thankless child? And so human beings are are done with gods now. And so it's basically the same right. same ending. Yeah. As in Adonias, but it's it's really well done, certainly for a, a, a kid's cartoon, for crying out loud. Well, even think about the titles. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> Beyond the Furthest Star, How Sharper Than a Serpent's Tooth, The Magics yeah. of Megas 2. Yeah. And, uh, this was heady stuff, and they didn't pander to kids. Not a bit. I mean, they still were, they, they had, you had monsters, and you had... Uh oh, the crew's now mermen. They can swim underwater and they've got gills. So they did things that were kid friendly right. and concepts that were really neat, but they didn't pander to children. Well, you mentioned too with Kuklakana, which was really great, is the fact that, you know, it's we've seen like with Humans for Adonias, Greek mythology, Roman mythology, you know, this usually, the fact that they plumbed Mayan mythology. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, Chariot of the Gods and all that had shined a light right. on that in the 70s, but still, it was it was really cool. It was refreshing. It was something different. Something we hadn't seen now, yet. Now, yeah. Magic's Omegas 2 is really interesting because Larry Brody comes in and pitches Gene, the Enterprise meets God. Right. And apparently, everybody lit up because Gene loves any time <laughs> God. And he said, unfortunately, NBC wouldn't let them do uh, uh, Kirk meets God, so it became Kirk meets the devil. As right. long as it's not really the devil, yeah, it's 
a devil. It's a devil. <laughs> a devil in disguise, as Elvis might say. But um, yeah, so so again, a wonderful episode. So that brings me to you, Michael. Uh, Rob uh, talked about some of his favorite episodes. What, what are what are some of your uh, favorite episodes of the animated series? Uh, well, I definitely have to agree with Rob. Yesteryear is you know definitely you know if not the best uh, you know near the near the very top. I also loved uh, a slaver weapon for all the reasons mm-hmm. we discussed earlier. Uh, I, I, the counterclock incident because it, it brought us Robert H. April. Plus, I also think it was the last one to air. So in many ways, was, yeah. you know, including it, if one does, as part of the original series, it was kind of a nice bookend in that yeah. we're meeting the first captain of the Enterprise Absolutely. on our last journey. And the first um, chief medical officer, his That's wife. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Sarah April. Um, but I really love Time Trap. Great. You know? mm-hmm. uh, great. We, the, the, uh, the battle between was it core in time trap? I think, I think it, it, it was core. It is core, but it's not the voice of John, John Calicos. Um, he was busy uh, thinking about how he played Baltar one day. <laughs> <laughs> but the sort of game of wits between him and Kirk, and how they're you know okay, we're pretending to cooperate, but at the same time he's trying to sabotage the Enterprise, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so they get destroyed and they don't escape from here. The the sort of battle of wits. It won't oh. work, Captain. <laughs> you know, you just reminded me. When I was a kid, they came out with miniature, a, a three-piece miniature model of a yeah. D7, the Enterprise. And a Romulan ship. I bought multiple sets of that because of I actually made the the Klingon, the D7 and the, and oh, the, made and the Heavy them. Cruiser. Nice. And I glued them together. So I had those, those that nice. model. Because I love that that's what that they great, did. It yeah. so it's a great cool. story about cooperation. And how, you know, we have to work together, but also trust but verify. Because wasn't there going to be a bomb that goes off as soon as right, they separate right, right. to take out the Enterprise? It's right. like, yeah, we'll work with you, but then we're going <laughs> to blow you up, you know. So. And we got to see, what, the uh, the Bonaventure, the sure. uh, early Federation starship, which basically like the Enterprise had been put in a trash compactor. But <laughs> right. still super cool. Right, right. And, wow. um you know, that was also the second season was when uh, Howard Weinstein, who was a young high school student or early college student, right. sold Pirates of Orion. Right. Yeah. And Filmation didn't realize that the spec script that had come in came from this young guy with no credits. And they said, who's your agent? And he's like, you know, my mom. And another thing that we have to mention that was perhaps the greatest thing other than the animated series itself was Alan Dean Foster's adaptation. Absolutely. Of the episodes. The Star Trek logs. The Star Trek logs. And at first he was doing three episodes per book but by the end of the run I think there's ten logs Star Trek logs mm. he was spending an entire book he novelized and it, like wow. Bem I think was an entire well you know why that is I but, don't what, well, I will tell you <laughs> the reason the reason for that is that the books were so successful mm. that the publisher Linda Del Rey who was running Del Rey at the time called up Alan Dean Foster says you have to stop he said, there's no way to extend these 23-minute episodes into a whole book. He said, I don't care how you do it. We're, like, going into multiple printings, and we're mm. running out of episodes, so you need to, to, to slow it down. Wow. And so he actually took a spec script that he had submitted the third season of the original Star Trek that they said they were actually considering had they been renewed for a fourth season and used the plot of that and married it to what he was writing to to start expanding these things wow. to make them longer. <laughs> because he had a, basically instead of doing three a book, he now had to do a whole book right. out of one 30-minute animated episode. Well, and here's here's the first time as a child I was angry about a Star Trek licensed property. Because the covers of those books, at first, 
were still frames from the episodes. Mm-hmm. Like you saw that the Shakar was a great it right. was a cover. Yeah. Then halfway through the run or like three yeah. quarters of the way they through changed. the run, they changed the covers. And they, they, they put these like their pop art versions right. of the Enterprise, just the Enterprise, and it looked like there was a chronometer <laughs> yeah. that said like volumes eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as a kid, I'm six or seven, I'm like what stupid idiot tried this? So the books aren't the same. So when you put them on the shelf, they the spines match. weren't the same. They didn't match. And as a kid, I'm like, I, I remember being angry about it. This is the first time I was angry. Like, what idiot made this decision? Who's, who did this to my beloved Star Trek log books? Well, I'll tell you what I'm angry about because I, I don't have them all. I think I used to get them from the library. And I don't know, maybe it was about 10 years ago. I saw at Barnes and Noble they did one of those hardcover. You know how sometimes they'll take you know take the Blish novels and these beautiful editions, and mm-hmm. mostly it's classic novels like Alice in Wonderland or, or Wizard of Oz, and they do these beautiful editions. They did it, uh, the same thing with the log series. They compiled all the Star Trek logs in this beautiful hardcover edition, and I didn't buy it. I, I wish I had because they're completely out of print. They're hard to get. I would love to read those books again because I just remember them being terrific, and I would like to have them. Well, yeah, he was, and Alan Dean, you know, Alan Dean Foster wrote a lot of novelizations later. He wrote Splinter of the Mind's Eye, but then his original, he wrote a whole series of books about the Humanex Commonwealth, and uh, our uh, very next podcast, Flinks and Pip and fl- Flicks, Flinks and Pip. I think the the characters. What the heck are you talking about? It was, it was original. They were original novels that Alan Dean Foster wrote, and that was one of my gateways to mm-hmm. reading real, real science fiction mm-hmm. that was not based on. On something else. That but, wasn't Spock Messiah. Well, that was part of it, too. Yeah. And, of course, he ghost wrote the novelization for Star Wars. Yes, he did. So, Darren Docterman. Yes, Mark Altman. What's your favorite Star well, Trek animated? Well, I, I really like all of them, but I think the first one, Beyond the Farthest Star, has always been, to me, the the best episode because it feels like real Star Trek and it feels really creepy. It and really, I yeah. love that feeling from it, right? Because right. um, it's a little bit scary when you go in. Where you, when they're trapped in that in the uh, you know control room of the spaceship, and they see the strange alien face giving its last uh, message, that's really scary, mm. especially to a, you know a little kid. I, I'm yeah. still a bit uh, upset about it, but um, <laughs> it's it's really well done. Well, it was the same year as The Exorcist, so I could see you know yeah. The Exorcist Beyond the Father's Star. Sure. You know. it had a real alien vibe too. I remember. It totally, yes, you know? totally <laughs> did with the exploded pods yeah. and everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like like there's a whole story that we haven't seen. What the heck happened here? Right. Yeah. Um, and I uh, I was lucky enough to get a, a separate uh, dialogue, music, and effects tracks for this episode, mm. and. I stripped out the music and I replaced it with original TOS music, and it is amazing how much it feels like a a real Star Trek episode. With now, the real some music. of you may be saying, "It sounds like your friend Darren has too much time on his hands." My reaction is, "How the hell do I get a copy of that?" <laughs> um, I'll have to dig it up because it, uh, you know, it's it's not something that I pass around everywhere, but it's uh, it, it was a it was an experiment. And 
it was it was a lot of fun. Wow, that that sounds super cool. <laughs> I, I, that now has gone ahead of my list of the Never Say McClory Again cut of Never Say Again with John Barry music. I have that. No, I want that too. Oh, I have that. <laughs> you know, I have a birthday coming up. Uh, when I was in Australia working on Superman Returns, the guy who did it, who lives in Perth, sent it to me at the at Fox Studios. Oh, I so want that. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, the Never Say McClory Again cut. Um, let, let me just say one last yeah, sure, thing. Um, the the day we're recording this is actually the anniversary of Gene Roddenberry's death. So let's just have a little remembrance of the great bird. Yeah, well, you know, I think, um, you know, look, there there are a lot of stories. Gene was larger than life in Absolutely. all the best ways. And he gave us a gift that keeps on giving. He, uh, uh, you know, a lot of these books that have dwelled on his failings, you know, whether it be the Joel Engel cares yeah you know maybe that's bad for the people in his life the wife that he cheated on the 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 you know the kids who you know you know but i don't care about any of that you know he what was i human. care about he was he was human of all the souls we've right. encountered of all the showrunners we've encountered he was <laughs> the most human but I, I will say you know what he created in star trek has touched so many lives and and his desire his goal for what star trek represented whether or not he lived that in his own life right he had this aspiration, you know, that humans could be better, that we could work together, that we would celebrate right. science and, 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 and uh, you know, explore the cosmos and that, you know, tomorrow, one day, you know, we would suffer through, um, in his case, it was the post-nuclear horror. In our case, it's the Trump administration. But that one day we would go on in the 23rd century to come together, you know, as a race, you know, on this cosmic tapestry. It's an, something wonderful to celebrate. And he, he, he left behind an incredible gift that has made him immortal, yeah. that has made, you know, he's given him immortality. Um, there's so many people who had huge hits uh, throughout, you know, uh, popular culture who are forgotten. And I think Gene will always be remembered because of, you know, what he created. You're here. Absolutely. I think you're very, you're very right about that, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday, Gene. I mean, it's interesting. You hear talk now that uh, there was a list that there's going to be all these new Star Trek shows made mm -hmm. and that they have touched, they've said they're going to do an animated show another animated Star Trek. And, and Star Wars is certainly successfully beginning with, uh, <clears throat> you know, you had the various iterations, both iterations of the Clone Wars, right. Rebels, now the Resistance, whatever the new, is that? What are, Star Wars Resistance. Star Wars yeah. Resistance. You're still out on that one. That, Star Wars Rebels was brilliant. Star Wars Resistance, I need to watch more before. But you had uh, Oscar Isaac coming and doing the voice of Poe Dameron. Mm -hmm. for... And Jimmy Doohan doing the voice of R2-D2. <laughs> <laughs> but it'll, it'll be interesting to see, like, I've often wondered, like, why, like, when Marvel Comics took over in the 90s, they took back over the Star Trek license, they did uh, Starfleet Academy, right. you know, as a, as a comic. And it'll be interesting to see if Star Trek will be treated with the same care that star who will be the dave filoni of the animated star trek universe well that's a, that's a good question and i mean it remains to be seen because as this universe grows uh, the kevin feige dave filoni figure has not yet emerged but i think we're all hopeful that they will sometime in the near future well, well, to give it a cohesion and a quality control that we all hope for in Star Trek. It would be interesting because to, to go back and do an animated series now with the animation that's possible, how great would it be to see the original series 
once again recreated, but with modern animation techniques. Well, that was something that Rod Roddenberry had said to me when I was doing my book. He said, you know, for a long time, I didn't take the animated series seriously. I didn't really even acknowledge it. And I went back and looked at it, and he was amazed by the quality of it. And he said his hope for the animated series is that one day someone would re take, you know, redo it with contemporary CGI. Mm-hmm. You know, I think because if you can get away from that limited animation, you can do new animation, perhaps some new voices. Um, the show that emerges from that will be revelatory. Um, I don't think there's a need for new voices. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and you know, there was something else. Uh, your good friend Dave Rossi, yeah. uh, who um, worked on Star Trek for many years, was championing an animated Star Trek series back in the ne- Next Generation days. Right. And, uh, a little after that, but yeah. But that, uh, which never happened, but that could have been really interesting. Well, the, there, there have been so many, you know, sort of failed attempts at doing Star Trek. I mean, both those that haven't been produced and those that have been produced. Uh, that uh, I think it's still, you know, anybody's guess as to what's going to happen. Well, we live in this era now where, you know, short form content is, you know, exploding and mm-hmm. all these new new apps, new networks that, that want really short uh, episodes and, and the How animated series. How many times have you been in a pitch movie and say, oh, Jeffrey Katzenberg's coming and he's spending a lot yeah. of money on short form content. But the animated series did short form Star Trek before anybody else. And now they have a, right. a short treks on, on the CBS app. Right. And I don't know how long those episodes are, but... Yeah, they're 15 minutes. Yeah. I mean, not much shorter than, than the length of an animated episode. So they, they were really, you know, pioneering. But you can tell that those kind of complex stories that could still move an audience. Again, at the end of yesteryear, I remember as a kid being moved to tears by yeah. Spock losing his pet. I think yeah. the short form concept conceptually is brilliant because it could be like those New Voyages compilations, you know, that we talked about. Um, I haven't watched any of them yet on on CBS All Access, but I think and maybe there's great. only one. There's out. only oh, one. Okay. So far. I haven't watched them. They're I doing was, it monthly, so I don't know, you know, uh, what it is or if it's great or whatever. But um, I, I think conceptually, it's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, when we were doing the the remastered Next Generation, there was a test done at CBS Digital, which we didn't put on the disc, where they were going to redo the animated episodes, but digitally with CG. Mm-hmm. And then we had talked about, we had proposed having a bunch of different animation companies around the world, each kind of like the Animatrix. Oh, how yeah, the Animatrix yeah, had sure. very different animation companies. And then I worked on uh, a series called Masters of Russian Animation where we brought all different kinds of, of Russian short animation onto these compilations. And it would have been great to take all 22 of the original animated episodes, take those voice tracks and give them to animation companies around the world and see what they would have done. And you would have had the original was going to be released on Blu-ray with these new interpretations. So you'd have different, you'd have 44 episodes. You'd have the original 22 and then 22 redone in however, whatever animation company, whatever they wanted to do with them, they could. Mm -hmm. And uh, how cool would that have been? It would have been great. Would have been great. But I I definitely think since that there's not uh, uh, as much looking back as there's looking forward at this point. Um, you know, otherwise, we likely see a director's edition of Star Trek V, you know, for the 30th anniversary, and clearly that's not happening. Um, or but, the 40th anniversary of Star Trek the Motion Picture. Well, yeah, exactly, and that's something I think that you know we'd all love to love to see. Um, you know, when you think of the iterations that have happened with um, Blade Runner, 
you know, it would be wonderful to see that a final cut of uh, Star Trek, the motion picture under the aegis of these gentlemen like Darren and Dave Fine and Mike Mattesino, who uh, did that wonderful director's edition 10, 15 years ago. Um, and, uh, you know, I hope somebody steps up. And, well, we stand ready to whenever whenever the studio is ready. Just let us know. You know, we you know, I think I think there's a there's an audience for it. And, you know, the clock is ticking because if you don't do it for the 40th. You know, the 50 is a, way, a long way off. <laughs> a long way off for well, all of us. It's, you know, seeing 2001 come back into theaters in an IMAX presentation. That was pretty amazing. Yeah. That was uh, and amazing. to see that kind of that kind of care, it's just you need the will, you and you also have to the have the Landry. people that care at the executive level. Right. That's the main thing. Well, and it's not just people who care, it's people who understand it. And as these companies right. get bigger and bigger, you know, these niche things or niche projects have less and less revenues. Everybody's looking for the home run and not the singles or the right. doubles. And that, you know, that's a real, a real problem because, you know, Star Trek has always been, you know, a, a, a doubles property. It's never been a home run like Star Wars. You know, Star Wars was huge, huge, you know, these were making hundreds of million dollars worldwide. Star Trek always performed best in the domestic market. They kept the budgets low and as a result, the return on investment was pretty good. You know, uh, you had a Star Trek II, which made $70 million on a $12 million spend. And, you know, P&A was a fraction of what it is now. You know, it's hard to see how the future of certainly the Star Trek feature franchise, you, know, you talk about it sort of in limbo right now, the new J.J. film, because Chris Pine wants his quote and um, you know, the Zach Quinto wants his quote and the last film underperformed and... You know, how do you reckon these huge budgets, you know, with uh, what Star Trek is really worth in the marketplace? Right. It's 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 a challenge. And I don't know what's going to happen there. Well, I mean, they should go back and, and they should limit themselves and make a, a Star Trek movie for under $100 million. Well, you, 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 you can't do that when Bad Robot's taking $10 million off the top. That I, I completely agree with you. You know, I, I don't know how you do your Rathacon, you know? I mean... And you got to sort of relaunch it, I think, with with basically giving people scale and first dollar gross, rather than you, you can't pay these people ten million. And they million ran into the same problem with Star Trek Discovery, a, a show that's one of the most expensive TV shows ever produced, based on how many episodes and the fifteen. Hours and they'll they be made. amortizing the cost from that season for a long time. So it's yeah, it's it's challenging. So in the meantime, let's watch the cartoons. Oh yeah, hey, can I, <laughs> can I, can I talk about my favorite episode? Yeah, yes. Um, Look, I, I think like like you've all said. I mean, yesteryear is 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 top tier. Absolutely. Uh, uh, again, it has an, a, a powerful message. It's a great Spock story. It contributed to the mythology. Even of though Vulcan. a pet died. Yeah, look, it's sad. It's freaking sad. Well, I, um, I liked it quite a bit an episode you guys didn't mention, which is more tribbles, more troubles. Captain, the engine room is filled with tribble. Well. We can do something about that. Attack. He did it to us again. That tin-plated, overbearing excuse for a starship captain did it to us again. Blast that thing. Any other orders, sir? Yes. Don't do that again. Ever. A simple shot of neoethylene will fix everything. The triple colonies will break down into their individual units with a slower metabolic rate. 
And these really will be safe triples now. Uh, what about the Klingons? Well, unless they treat their triples too, that ship isn't going to be big enough for all of them. Say, you didn't get this one, Bones. Oh, yes, I did. But it has some... Someday I'll learn. Aye, Captain. But you've got to admit, if we've got to have tribbles, it's best if all our tribbles are little ones. Mm -hmm. I just think it's a funny, slight confection. You know, yeah. the, the Glomer uh, has been done as a plush figure. I have one. Yeah, so <laughs> of course, I, I love it. And, you know, whenever I have triple problems, I call bring out my Glomer. Um, I've got a stray cat. Will it work with that? <laughs> I think that'll work <laughs> as well. Um, you know, I, I always, you know, I don't think Once Upon a Planet's a great episode. It's when um, the Shoreleaf Planet starts malfunctioning. Yeah. But I just like the fact that it's sequel to Shoreleaf. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, but the Slaver Weapon, again, with the pink Kazinti aside, is just a re the idea of this alien technology in these boxes, in these slaver boxes, it's just such a cool sci-fi uh, premise. Um, and, uh, you know, jihad, Jihad's not bad. Um, and then, uh, like you said, Counterclock Incident, I think I like even more because it's such an insipid pre premise that's executed so well right. that I kind of dig it. In the same way, Rascals was an awful idea, right? But, but it's, it's executed really so much yeah. better than it has any right to be. That I kind of dig it, and then of course, yeah, Time Traps just just mm -hmm. is really good. So, how do you do a sequel to Shore Leave and not reveal that you know the, the McCoy who's been with the ship this whole time is actually one of those robots <laughs> that he died in that original? Episode. Because it's not Westworld; it's <laughs> right. Star Trek. What a, that would, would be great. Right? Oh, McCoy's dead. He died, yeah. surely. No, this didn't you see perfect... him? He was, he was gutted by a lance. I mean... That's only what you thought you saw. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I think he's always been a, a, a robot since that day. I believe. He tries a little too hard. I think. Well, obviously, that's why he lasted all the way into Next Generation. Right. He proved he could grow a beard, though. These robots are really, really good. Crazy. God, but he has the hinged door on his belly. Right. That he, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those transistors made a big comeback in uh, the 23rd century. No, look, the, the remarkable thing is not that Star Trek's dated. It's, it's that it hasn't dated more. Right. You know, how many shows from the 60s are we still watching? You know, there's the sitcoms like I Love Lucy, and um, there's not a lot of shows. I mean, I know, don't know. I, I, I'm watching practically all of them. These days, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, well, you're, you're the exception, but I, I think there there are not many shows from that era that really stand up. That that just you know, Star Trek and F Troop. I mean, the huge shows like, you know, the era Man from Uncle, right. I Spy. Right. You know, nobody, nobody's, nobody's watching. Wild, well, well, certainly Wild, not Wild now. West. I Spy. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, you know, maybe he's watching it in jail. Guys, it's just uh, I don't even want to get into starring Culp and Culpable. You know, it, we, you know it's, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, it's just a tragic situation all around. Um, and then, um, uh, but, you know, so many shows, I mean, like to me, Have Gun Will Travel still stands up, uh, you know, remarkably well. But there's not there's not a lot from that era that, that not in features, because obviously for film, it was right. a great time. But Well, you know, do you think that another thing the animated series did, too, was I don't think there'd be Mego toys. No, there would not. If there was no animated series. And for me as a kid... As I don't know, as a as a six, seven, eight, as I grew up, I still love Star Trek, but the animated series kept 
that burning, that notion, it, it kept it going for me. It was, and it, it was something that, uh, that, and then you get the animated series to me led into Star Trek the Motion Picture. Absolutely. Gene was right. He was he absolutely said, right. This little cartoon that I'm going to agree to do is going to keep Star Trek alive. And you know what? It he It did. And live it did. <laughs> and live it did. And that's a story for another day. Listen, this was so great to be able to go back and look at uh, the animated series. This was a fun discussion, and uh, it's great to show it some love because I think we all feel the same way about it. I love the fact that you were able to incorporate little references to um, the animated series in Enterprise. That's, that's great. And maybe it's some... love at 12 frames per second. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and uh, you know, and having Jimmy Dewan drop by to uh, share his recollections of the show was a real treat as well. Unfortunately, he's left because he had another gig he had to be. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I just want to say to everyone, thank you for listening. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Inglorious Trek and Trexperts, respectively. And if you like what you hear, please rate us five stars at Apple Podcasts. It makes a difference. And uh, if you don't, uh, why are you even listening? We're a five-star show. We're not three-star show, four-star show. We're a five-star show. Uh, uh, also, if uh, you're um, a fan of Discovery, we hope you'll check out our new podcast, Disco Nights, uh, which will have all new episodes premiering in November every Sunday night, wherever you listen to podcasts. And finally, a very, very special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone here at Electric Surge Network for making the show possible. Uh, until next week, on behalf of Robert, Michael, Darren, and myself... We want you to remember that in every revolution, there is one man or woman with a vision. May your way be as pleasant. Let's see what's out there. Engage. With the dog.